Um, we're glad that you're here this morning. We're glad to have some visitors here with us today, too, because this is baby, baby, baby dedication, baby dedication 2016. And this is the third one of these that we've done uh, here at Echo. And I always try to preface it with this because, you know, while some of this can be like a happy, joyous occasion, there are still some of us that have issues within our lives that make this maybe a little less than joyous. And it can sometimes unintentionally bring discomfort to those of us who have some issues. See, many of us have family situations that are flawed, that are less than perfect. And as a result, when we, you know, have this type of day when we're focusing on families and their kids, it kind of brings that back to light. Some of us um, maybe either are unable to have children or maybe just that's not within our plans. And we try to think that we're elevating parenting and child rearing to a level that makes it the Christian norm. And that's not something that we're trying to do today either. Um, and because of that, you know, what I'm hoping is that what we can see as we look through the scriptures this morning, as we try to guide ourselves to this point, is that this is not something just for the families and, uh, you know, for the people with the babies. But this is something that for all of us as the family of God need to surround this is what, uh, what place do children fit within our community? And it's something that you have to understand, especially for our church, a city church. Uh, And for some of us who have known, your social lives, if you're a parent, goes down to zero. And one of the reasons that that happens is that the city is not designed for children. It's designed more for dogs than it is for kids. And that's one of the reasons that we're bringing here this to the elevation point. So I say all that as a preface is because I've been a part of some churches that are not urban churches. And when it's talking, it, it, it's like the, the epoch of what the epoch of who you're supposed to be as an individual is supposed to be the couple and to put out children. And that's not what we're trying to say today, but there is a place for it. So um, as we go through this, this is a verse that we read at the beginning of the service. And I'm really going to ask us to get some redundancy right here. I'm going to ask that we read this verse from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, out loud one more time together. Will you read this with me? Start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. A few weeks ago, David was preaching and talking about the idea of the Proverbs. And he said, this is not a magic formula that we have here. It's not like, okay, if I do A, B will happen and that's guaranteed. And when it does not, then it's not because God didn't show up. But this is something that should guide the parents that we are talking to this morning and those who might eventually be parents too. That it is the idea that there is a grounding in faith that sets one up for a lifetime. And in order to focus this on this morning, we're going to look in Luke chapter 1. And it's interesting because I'm not even going to hide it, is that this is a text that we grappled with last year. And I added like two new things to make it feel like, you know, you'll get your money's worth for something different. But let's be, you don't even remember what I preached six, year, six weeks ago, let alone a year ago. So suck on that or something, I don't know. But we're in Luke chapter 1. And this is interesting because you can see at the beginning of Luke, what follows all of this is the birth narrative of Jesus. So it is a Christmas text, although this has nothing to do with the Christmas story as we know it. Linus is not reciting anything within these verses right here. However, I think it's important for us to deal and grapple with. And my wife, Kelly, will be reading the verses for us this morning. So Kelly, if you will start off, what page number is that, by the by? 723, if you have a blue Bible, we're going to look at this interesting story about parenthood. Luke 1, verses 5 through 7, please. 
So what we have is a couple whose familial roots are very strong. They are both from the tribe of Levi. And uh, we got a Levi here too. I was trying to wrap that up there. You know, sometimes it burks, but that's the best I can do. So, hey, your kid gets a shout out because of the naming. Nobody else named their child Zechariah today, so they're out of luck. Here's, here's the interesting thing about that is this couple who have this great center in religious worship are hoping to have a, a child but are unable to do so. I want to camp out right here because I think it's a point that we need to be able to talk about. It's an important that we talked about with the Proverbs 22 text, which is this is that when it comes to child-rearing in faith, there is an absolute benefit to having a family that is committed to worship. And there's been different statistics and studies that have proven this over the time, is that the more likely a kid is immersed within a faith tradition, they are likely to carry that out. Now, what's interesting is paralleling this is something that I've done over the past year as a personal project because I've been in ministry for two decades now, and I know many, many people who were born, reared in the church. They, you know, they did everything church-wise from youth groups to service projects to missions trips, and yet after that whole immersion, when they reached adulthood, they fell away from the faith. And it's something that you're seeing more and more, and I think that actually just as a footnote asterisk right here is to try to say is that that's happening more and more I think is because we as a church are really failing in our formation because we believe that if we just bring a kid to lots of Jesus stuff then it will somehow stick and that's not how a person can really develop in their faith most importantly is how is that portrayed at home and this baby that's going to come out of this marriage right here was fully immersed in this idea that worship was not something that just happened in a certain place or location but was something that was lived out in life so as much as i can see those negative examples i'm telling you as i'm standing here as an example today of somebody who really did not want to go to church anymore when i was a kid like, we went on Sunday morning. There was Sunday night church, too. We had Wednesday night prayer meetings. And by the way, there weren't, like, awesome kid stuff, you know, associated with that. There was no flannel graph to be found at these opportunities. It was just total, like, we would sit there. And it's one of the reasons that I think today I know the words to every hymn that's ever been written. And I know a lot of Bible verses because I was there. But the same thing happened to my siblings. And it's something that's funny is that today all of us are still in the church and are rearing our kids to do the same. And, and I'll tell you the reason why here too. It's not just because we were in church, but it also happened at home with my parents. And it wasn't, you know, we used to do little Bible studies and that was the worst. I'm like, I'm done eating. Now we're going to read the Bible. Let's just be done with that. It wasn't about that at all. It wasn't about trying to structure our Jesus-wise. The, the thing that was important to that is my parents actually lived out their faith. I saw them do it. And what's great is to see them as grandparents today. They're still doing this thing. And I apologize if I've told some of you this story, but we were at Thanksgiving, and the one thing Thanksgiving in our house was always about was collecting strays. When people didn't have a place to go to Thanksgiving, my parents were always having them over there. So there's people that were actually brought into our family who weren't even there. And it sometimes drives me crazy when I'm like, you know, we would drive all over Cincinnati to pick up people just to go bring people back to our Thanksgiving. But the one thing that was modeled within that, within my family, was we live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so for our parents here today, I think that's the important thing. Echo is not going to solve your church problem with your kid. Just bringing them here. I mean, we've got some, you know, a yellow room back here. It's very bright. It will speak positively when their, you know, development of, you know, Jesus is light colors, all this stuff. I don't know. But most important is that how are you living at home? How, how are they seeing Jesus modeled before that, before uh, them in your lives? 
I, I want to touch on this too because it's here and it's something that's important is we see Elizabeth's barrenness being brought out. And that's something, again, that we see more and more in the world today. I know of a lot of parents who have been unable to have kids and they've invested thousands and thousands of dollars on treatments to try to get there. And sometimes even in that, it does not work out. So it's this concept that we sometimes see in the Bible. We see barrenness as a bad thing. And that's one of the things we need to clarify is the reason why it was a, a difficult thing in these times. And all the way back, we see different examples of, of women who weren't able to have babies and there was a void in their life. But the reason that this existed twofold within the ancient times, number one, was because of care and security for the parents. There was no social security. And today you had to be, or in that day, you needed to be coupled and you need to have lots of kids because when you got old, it would be those kids that cared for you. We live in such an independent society today that this isn't a reason necessarily to have kids. People don't worry about their longevity and have eight kids because it's a blessing to them. But we see it in this time. The other thing, though, that was important was about bringing some sort of spiritual lineage. And as a priest, Zechariah would have been faced with this daily, this idea that did he, was there enough there to be able to take on this, this calling was there somebody to walk in my footsteps? Was there somebody that would be there to be able to preach and to impact? And this is what's interesting about this story is that we, we see that they're here and we're going to get to this point of angels in a little bit that are going to come. But the point is, is that they're in this situation. They're, they're living right. God has not provided yet. And Kelly, if you will read verses um, 13 through 18, we'll see what happens as a result of this. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord. In the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Man, everybody thinks their kid's going like, to be the, the best person in the world, and here's an angel telling them that, oh yeah, it is going to happen. And you know, some of you think that, no, that's what God told me um, about my kid. But they're all little heathen devils. They will never never reach this point. I'm just trying to bring reality back into the conversation. Let's look at this. Everybody's like, is that funny? Should I laugh? I don't know. It wasn't funny, but you don't need to laugh. It was an attempt at humor. But here's the interesting thing is that so now after being very old, and we don't know what age is, but we would assume that this is point past the point of, uh, of Elizabeth being able to actually conceive, have a child. This is, this is what's interesting about this whole story is that the first thing that the angel who shows up to Zechariah during his time of, of serving at the temple, the first thing he says, I've heard your prayer. I'm answering your prayer here that you will have a child. And, and, and this has always confused me about the text because is this something that Zechariah and Elizabeth were praying far beyond that point? Like, is this just like a, a prayer that happened until the point they got old and then they're like, okay, let's just buy a little condo in Florida and since we don't have kids, we can go down there. Or was this actually something that they prayed continually even in old age? Lord, if we only had a child. We don't know, but even that assumption is something that's crazy, right? For those of us who are getting older, you know, I'm not that old. I'm just in my early 40s. But now that my daughter is like, you know, double-digit age, I'm just like, oh, you know, I see you all with little babies and getting bellies pregnant and stuff. I'm like, I'm glad I'm tapped out of that type of thing. 
Because you can only lose so much sleep with that child. You can only have them, you know, fecal matter on your shirt and such, or vomit, all these types of things. These idea that you're having to worry about all these appointments, like, I'm ready to be done with that. Some of you grandparents in the crowd are like, amen, man, because that's the thing you get when you're a grandparent, right? You get all the privileges of being around the cute baby, but then you get to hand them off and you don't have to worry about what happens at 2 a.m. Like, that's the life. My question I'm wondering is, is this something that they were actually praying about throughout? Or was this just the resonance of a prayer that the angel chose to answer? There's a few things about that then that wears me out. Because if they were praying that whole time, God bless them for having so much faith to believe that even in old age, God could provide for them. Or on the other end, which would be a bigger lesson for us, because if that prayer stopped, right? If that prayer stopped, maybe when they hit their 40s or something, where it was like, okay, that didn't happen, now let's move on. If that prayer stopped, and then the angel showing up and said, God heard your prayer from decades ago, he's going to answer it today. I don't know, I, I find that even scarier, right? Because how many prayers do I make in the moment? How many times do I go before the Lord and say, God, if you'll just do this today, then I will be happy. And then a few years later, I'm like, I'm thankful that God didn't answer my prayer because I was so wrong about that. I guess the lesson for all of us, whether we're parents or not, is be careful what you pray. And try to pray something longer than in a singular moment, right? What if what you pray today is something that God is going to answer years from now? Will you still be as excited about it? And it seems that Zechariah and Elizabeth, as we read through this verse, the, the text, and we're not going to read through all of this, it seems like they were excited. But here's something I think is important that we see in the angels. There's the idea of the power of prayer, the power of praying for children. And I think that's something that you and I need to dedicate ourselves to as a church. Are you praying for kids? Even if you're not planning on having kids, is this something that you look to? Living in the city, again, does stuff like this that brings it to the forefront. I'm always shocked when I'm driving around the neighborhood and I see kids walking down the street that are so small, I'm afraid for their safety, and yet there is not an adult to be found. And I go back and I'm like, wow, when Kaylin was six years old, would I trust her to walk down a sidewalk on a busy street all by herself? I, she's 10, and I barely trust her to do that today. And what you see in the city then is kids sometimes are an afterthought and they have to fend for themselves either. And whenever I see that, the first thing I always start to do is I pray, like, God, let this kid be okay to get from here to there. It's a constant reminder to me. Because our children are, def are more defenseless than others in our society. And I would ask this for all of us. Are you really praying for kids? Because, again, some of the baggage that you and I carry in this life today is because of the bad experiences we had as children. Can you imagine what it's like multiplied with people reared in a family that doesn't care about them. Can we do this, friends, as people this week? Is, will you just pray for kids? If you're in this point like me when you're driving down the road and you see a kid that, you know, pray. And I'm not saying then, oh, should I help? You know, like, yes, if you're in a position, definitely help. But more so, keep it at the forefront. It's, we call it child rearing, but really it's future adult making, Right? Like, that's the goal of that. And we need to think for these children. This is one of the interesting things here in the text that the angel says, is that Zechariah is told to, to specifically name the child. This is something that's huge because part of what Zechariah would have been excited about having a kid was to be able to select the name because that would have helped to push forward the lineage. But he's told specifically name the child John. We know in the Greek... Uh, the, or the Hebrew, the naming of John, excuse me, it, it just literally means God has been gracious. 
And this is what's great about all the promises that are said here within the text about this kid. Is we see the grace of God working. And we see the promise of God for this child, right? God says, listen, John's going to raise up. He's going to call people back to faith. He's going to be an impactful person. He's going to transform the world spiritually. That's challenging. And we think about that, the graciousness of God. This is a key aspect for those of us who have kids. Or those of us who aspire to do this. Is that they are not your own They're a gift of God. Sounds cliche, something on the bottom of a precious moments statue, right? But this is something that is key that we find out. Kids are are not ours. We're all stewards of what God's given us. Do you not think that's be true? When's the last time you called your mom? Yeah. That's the guilt-induced part of the message because it's like, call your mom today. But it's this idea that you're becoming adults, you're becoming separated from this. And as a result, you have to understand is that eventually we're all the children of God and therefore he has blessed us with stewardship from us from that. And then that's how we need to view them. Can I go back because I messed up a slide right here. So this is a part of the story that we're not going to read. But um, later in the text in uh, verse 20. So uh, God tells Zechariah, you're going to give birth to a son. And not only going to be the son, he's going to be just like an amazing son. So you're old, but he's going to, he is going to be born and he's going to be prolific. And Zechariah is like, I have major doubts about this. And the angel says, I shall prove that to you because now until the baby is born, you shall not utter a word. And at that point, his tongue was unable to speak and he was silent. So that's important for the end of the story. But I think it's also this thing too, is that some of you... uh, wives of you know that's how you wanted your husband to operate it's just like just shut up for six months and maybe i can persevere i don't know it's in the bible just think about that maybe that needs to be your prayer right now it's like when it comes time that god will tie up his tongue i don't know it's going to come into play right here we're going to get to it kelly will you read verses 57 to 66 of luke 1 when it was time for elizabeth to have her baby she gave birth to a son Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. In Jewish culture, the bere or the circumcision ceremony is something that's still practiced today on the eighth day. And that, you know, I, I could not find any pictures of that for you all because my Google browser, it has this like filter. So we're thankful for that. Here's the interesting thing about all of that, though. As much as the snipping was important to the day, you like how I'm working this here? This is good. As important was the naming of the child because you recognize that the name that is given says a lot about people. I, oh man, I just so want to go on this random story is that there was a lady, you know, I work with churches and I was talking with my friend this week who was like, there was a church that both of us knew here in the Cincinnati area. It was an urban church. And the pastor of the church's name was like, her full name was like Queen Esther and then her last name. Like that was her name was Queen Esther. 
Like, her first name was Queen, which is like, if you're doing that, you're throwing a lot of baggage up there. The joke about the whole story was, is that they used to joke that, you know, it was like, we're going to see Queen Latifah, and then it was crazy because during a time when they were praying with Queen Esther, the person accidentally said, and we pray for Queen Latifah, it was... Like, it was a, I wish I could tell the whole story. It would take too long. It doesn't fit. But there's the point. It's like, when you're naming a kid, be careful what you name it, right? That's one of the reasons that I loved it. I knew when we called Kaylin, Kaylin with no T, that she would spend the rest of her life correcting people. No, it's not Caitlin, it's Kaylin. It's like I was giving her not just a name, but a task that would accompany her throughout their life. Because that's what we do. And peculiar spellings are the same way, right? It works out. This whole point is that giving the name is powerful. And again, what did we say? That a lot of what this childbirthing thing was a great thing for Zechariah and Elizabeth, that they were going to have a name that would live on. And, and the idea where Zechariah, even though he could not speak, wrote out, we're going to name the baby John. And they're like, wait a second, you're doing this wrong. That's not accomplishing this idea about carrying out this family. But he was certain because he connected his stewardship of child to God's provision. And in doing so, when he was firm on that point, then his tongue became loosed. And what did he do afterwards? He was able to say, the reason that we're doing this is because an angel came to me. And in coming to me said that this child is going to be prolific. And what's interesting is that his faithfulness starts the rumor mill that continues to go on, right? So that everybody's talking about this kid. You think your kid is special. Have villages talked about your child, right? So there's something that's resonating beyond this, much greater than this, and it's that this is who John is going to be. It was a calling. And ultimately, what was his calling? Why do we do this story right around the Christmas time? Is that John's calling was to have this miraculous birth that would resonate in the miraculous birth of his cousin Jesus that would truly go on to change the world. And John's job was to set the path for Jesus. And for our parents today who are going to, you know, pray for your kids here in a little bit. I mean, is that not like the greatest task you could ask for? Yeah, you might want to be like, I, I need to get them in the right preschool so we can get into the right school to college so that they can make money. And then I've got that set up for me. Yeah, you're, you're trying to, or, or I've got to get them in the right sports so they can get the right scholarships to go through. Man, there's all this other stuff that we try to put upon our kids. But the most important thing for a child, for us who have faith, is that is this child... Setting up a life to be able to clear the way for Jesus. Because that's our goal, right? As believers. All we're doing is we're making paths open for Jesus. That's what John was called to do. And when you're a parent and you're young, because I've done this, right? And you're looking at this little kid and you're wondering, what's his personality going to be like? Who's she going to become? And you're staring with that, and when you have this common prayer, you have that prayer like you're projecting out there, right? Like you want this in your kid, but here's the scariest part, is that you start to think about the negative aspect. You start to think of what you don't want for your kid. I think that social media and the internets are why we live today as helicopter parents in fear for children. Like, what's funny is that, you know, I... I Somewhere, I, I was out in public in the past few weeks and somebody had the, le- the child leash on their ch- kid. <laughs> They're like, did you ever child leash, Kaylin? I was like, I have not. Why do you put a leash on your child? <laughs> I think it's about more than control. You're con- like, I, show, I have dominion over this child. They're on a leash. I think it's more about, I don't want my child to get hurt, right? And if you're a parent, and I don't care if you're parenting in 2016 or if you parented in the 1980s, 
It's the thing we all want for these kids, right? You want to protect. And it's when you become a parent that your shift of mortality changes because you realize how fragile the world is. You know what parents do? They want to protect their kids from everything. And I'm, even though I'm like this, I'm a jerk about that, right? I'm trying to toughen my daughter up. I'm not immune to it too. When she comes home and somebody's hurt her feelings, I want to go throw a small boy across a fence, right? I don't know where the fence came into that, but this is what's interesting about the story of John, the kid who started with all this promise. Because even though Elizabeth is old, you can imagine she has this excitement in her life because of what he'll become. And one of the things about this which is interesting is that because she's old and Zechariah is old, we're going to left to assume that they probably didn't survive through John's adulthood. That they probably passed away. And fortunately when they passed, they probably didn't have to see the end of the story. Because what's the end of the story of John's life? It's as depressing as Jesus, if not more so. John becomes what the scripture says. John goes out and is bold for faith and changes people's lives. But when you try to do that, there will be people who are negative. And John was beheaded in prison. And his head then becomes an accoutrement for some, like, demented game. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 14. But here's the thing, is that if I was just to read the promise of that kid, how many of us parents would have been like, that's what I want from my kid. But if I knew that, you're like, I'm converting to Buddhism Because there must be a better path, right, than to have this happen. Because with some of us, and this is for us parents, and those of us who aspire to be parents, and for those of us who have these different types of idolatries in our life, we set up the kid that it's a bigger idol than what God has in in store for them. I have this demented feeling that I think my daughter's going to grow up to be a missionary, and the reason is, is I really don't want her to become a missionary and go to some far off place, right? So somebody can, you know, somebody put this on the Facebooks or something and go through and you'll be like, yes, Steve called it. And we're not even trying to fully set her life up for that, but you have this notion that that's what's going to happen. Why? Because I'm going to, we're trying to give her back to God. And this is the question I think that plagues the parents and the parents to be and for all of us. Are you so willing to give all to God? That you'll accept the consequences, even if they're negative. I like to think that I'm that person, but I know I have my doubts. Can I bring this home? This is why we need each other. This is why I'm very pro kids being in the church. And um, it's important for us to have this together. Because how tough is it for you and I as adults to live this out, right? Think about how much more difficult it is for kids. I love this idea, though, is despite that, here at the end, when all the people are wondering, they were sure that the Lord's hand was with him. That the Lord was there. Whether good or bad, God was there for them. That's what we need for our kids. So here in a second, the kids are going to come out, and we're going to have a time of prayer. And what we want to do is we want to pray this type of prayer for all of these kids, right? is what we want in all of their lives is we want them to be in a point where we can just say with certainty we don't know how this is all going to end but the Lord's hand is with them 
And this is why it's important for all of us, right? This is why if you're like, okay, I have no kids. I'm not on that trajectory. Like, how is this relevant to me? Are we just worshiping kids? No, because this is key, is that it does seriously take, and I loved it. Kathy put something on Facebook this last week that was resonating with me because Dylan was gone. We were at the coffee shop, and she wrote, I think I'll need the village's help with Owen, right? I loved even that phrase because it takes the village. It does. It takes the village to do this. And we've had like three kids now who have we seen from little tykes grow up in our church. Sydney, who's helping out in the back. Kaylin, my daughter. Henry, who's right here. And the cool thing about that is to see how people over the years have invested in them so that they are growing up to become adults. And by the way, we don't have like the, the, the awesome like youth program, right? Like I walk into churches now through my job and churches have like whole McDonald's jungle gyms in like their kid's place. Like we have this little cloth thing that folds up in the back right? You're like, we're doing it wrong. We're not functioned within that. But friends, I'm going to tell you, I grew up in a church with six kids right there. And that experience that the adults had in my lives, even though, and I'm going to tell you, they were not educated adults at all. Like it's not till you get older, you're like, wow, I was actually smarter than them. You had no idea, right? Because it was a very blue collar, low educated church. But man, those people taught me faith and they loved me. And I'm here today because they invested in me. And even if you don't have kids in this church, I've seen you all do it. You're investing in these kids, right? It's beautiful. It's something that we need to keep doing. So this is for all of us, right? So as we do this today, it's for all of us. So I'm going to go, I don't know what's going to happen when I open this door. This will be exciting. Oh, look at this. We got kids rolling out everywhere. I know, right? It's how I feel about it. Hey, what's up? I like your tie. I know. I know. What's up, Levi? So, um, you know what? I'll pray for whomever. So when we do this baby dedication, this is the whole thing, is that within our church, we are not Catholic. We are not baptizing the kids. I have no water. We are not trying to secure their salvation for the years to come, right? There's the possibility that things might not end up this way, but what we're doing is we're praying for the next years of their lives, true? We're praying for these kids, and we're praying for them that God might be over them, and then we're coming to a point of accountability. So I know we have Ramona, who is going to be coming from, and Levi as well. You can start bringing them up here. And um, Finn, who is Finn, been really quiet. And Reed as well. And I swear, if, any, if you're just like, nope, I need my kid in on this too, that's fine. You can bring them up here. Now go to the last slide. I, I did have some organization. This is for us. This is for us because we, as we're trying to say we're dedicating these kids to the Lord, they need help. <laughs> Literally and figuratively, right? And that's our job. Sometimes they're going to need babysitters. And you'll be like, oh, if they just ask me, stop. Maybe you need to ask them. Sometimes you lose your mind when you're with this kid overall. You're like, I love them, but I don't want them near me right now. You, maybe you need to be those people who are like, hey, you guys, let me take this kid on. You guys go out and do something fun. Even if it's just going to Target, there's a certain liberation within that, right? But then there's also this idea that you need to be praying for them. You need to be investing in them. It's what we need to do. So can we all read this out loud together as a commitment to them? Read this out loud with me. We shall support these children as they grow. Loving them as if our own. 
we too will give our future to the Lord. Okay, this is the, this is the part that gets weird. You ready? I need everybody to stand up. And I need you to make your way up here, and I need you to surround some of these people. Now, some of you are like, this is awkward. This is awkward, right? This is what the church does, this awkward thing. And if we're not making you feel awkward, then we're not challenging you. Just come up here and surround somebody and, like, put your hand on one of these parents and stuff. It's going to be a little chaotic. Spread out. You can use a stage. There's nobody in the audience now, so you don't have to worry about that, right? And you guys can spread out if we need. And this is the reason that we do this, right? Is because it's about a village. It's about community. It's about what happens. So Kelly is going to pray for us, for you all. But as she prays, will you pray? Will you pray for these people too? Pray for them.